podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the AI Extra Transfer Rumor Show. Uh, this is a new show that we're, we're putting out for the summer. Um, I'm your host, Justin Wells. Uh, this is going to be a weekly show where we're going to go over rumors, both Liverpool-related and non-Liverpool-related. Uh, it's a World Cup summer, so there should be a lot of, uh, you know, out of nowhere and out of left field uh, kinds of signings and rumors. And to help me uh, get into it, I found what I think is probably the best guest I could get for the first show. Um, you know him as Anfield Index's resident, uh, you know, MMA guy, wrestling guy, and money guy. I'm going to call him Money Mo. Mo Chatra. How you doing, Mo? <laughs> money Mo, I like it. I like it. Yeah, I'm doing really good, Justin. How are you? I'm doing well. I also grappled with introducing you as the strongest accountant on AI. <laughs> could have gone, could have oh, gone yeah. with... I've been called plenty worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, it works twice also because you are, you know, rather well built. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, not, just, not as well built as, as it was for Ramadan. But, you know, uh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, it, it keeps me busy. Keeps me out of mischief. Yeah, and if anybody gets, uh, you know, if Mo gets a little bit cranky with anybody, just note that we are recording this before sundown, and he hasn't eaten since the sun came up. So, uh. <laughs> but uh, now going going into it. Um, I want to start outside outside the world of Liverpool just to soften us up a little bit. And what better place to start than across Stanley Park with uh, a side that today actually had their billionaire, you know, with their billionaire owners was said that they, uh, in order to revamp their side, they're going to have to sell to buy. But let's talk about the first player they might be selling. Apparently, Wayne Rooney is going to MLS. I guess the question isn't whether or not you're surprised by this. Is is it is this uh, move about three years too late? Yeah, I think, I think it probably is. Um, now Rooney is somebody who, um, like a lot of players that, um, come to the fore in their teens, um, pretty much burnt out in terms of his peak years by the time he was in his mid to late twenties, around 26, 27. Um, and after that, he, he certainly was not the player that he was earlier in his career. Um, and he perhaps stayed on at Manchester United a bit too long. And that's why increasingly he became a peripheral figure, which uh, was a big blow to his quite considerable ego. Um, but he wanted to always go back to Everton. That was very clear um, all throughout his time at Manchester United. And, um, you know, he went back to much fanfare. Um, you know, a lot of the fans at Everton who booed him uh, mercilessly for years, upon, you know, year upon year, um, seemed to forgive him, um, welcomed him back with open arms, scored on the opening day of the season. Had a decent run in the first couple of months, but after that, it all really fell off a cliff. And especially when Sam Allardyce turned up. Um, so he, his career at Everton really fizzled out. And um, it's no surprise whatsoever that um, he um, he is potentially uh, moving on. And the MLS is a good fit. I mean, it's it's a it's a arena. It's a location where 
players that were great at one time but are not anymore uh, go for one final payday. And if that's what he's after, and if he's thinking of potentially getting one or two new sponsorship deals, then um, why not? I mean, he certainly won't be getting sponsorship deals with um, you know aftershave companies or anybody that looks to capitalise on appearance because um, you know he, he certainly isn't. Um, well stocked in that department, but uh, yeah, he he will look at it as an opportunity. And you know, he's had two or three of his good friends like um, Gerard and uh, Beckham go out there and um, have some mixed results in the MLS. But uh, no, I, I think it's a natural location for him. It's either that that or China, and I, I think he and his family would much prefer the MLS. Yeah, it's definitely a bit easier of a move from Liverpool to Washington, D.C. He's actually rumored to be going to D.C. United. Um, the structure of MLS actually basically makes it as to where if a star player comes, uh, you know, free in... Uh, and, and I'm using the term star player very loosely because obviously we're talking about guys like Gerard Beckham, you know, Henri... Zlatan, David Villa, Pirlo. Those are, I think, the biggest names who have come to MLS and Kaká. They've all, those are the biggest names that have come to MLS, but they all come at the end of their career. And the league tries very hard to engineer where they go in order to, you know, put, put, um, fans in the seats of clubs where they know that either the club is flagging or, you know, or, or actually just one of the stronger clubs where they know the club will draw. DC United's historically one of MLS's stronger clubs. Um, they have fallen on rough times lately, though, and he he seems like a decent fit there. Now we're gonna we're gonna move into uh, a little bit of La Liga now, though, because uh, there's there's you know the the Antoine the Antoine Griezmann move to Barcelona it seems to be the one this summer there where it's going to be the will he won't he come, and that really does seem to probably that that's probably the one that uh, I think is going to be the biggest chip in the you know the big game market to fall. I guess the question is. Uh, how can you see that one going, considering the fact that Atletico are both rumored to have bids in against both Griezmann and we'll get into it a little bit later as it refers to us, but also uh, Oblak? Yeah, so, um, you know, Griezmann's a really interesting one because, um, you know, Atleti have been very vehement in their objections to the way that Barca, as usual, have um, courted the player. And um, it is almost um, obscene to the point of being almost laughable that, they get away with such um, outrageously blatant uh, behaviour to try and lure players to their club. And um, I think they've met with um, Griezmann's agent. I think it's either his father or his sister. And, um, you know, they've also made some very public um, comments kind of clearly suggesting that they're keen on him. And um, I'm sure that Griezmann himself would um, very much like the opportunity to play alongside the likes of Messi and uh, Suarez. But um, nonetheless, you know, this is something that potentially could get them into trouble. Um, you know, they've had some meek, um, weak bands in the past. Um, and I think the kind of behaviour that they've exhibited here, and even when they courted Coutinho as well, um, some pretty outrageous stuff that time too, that they deserve another ban. Um, so that's perhaps why there has been somewhat of a stalling because they might have a genuine fear that, look, we were banned for, I think it was two transfer windows um, only a couple of years ago. You know, if they're found guilty again, that ban could be for an even longer period. Um, so perhaps they're finally wising up and trying to be a bit more discreet um, about their approaches to players 
And, you know, that, that's the right thing. I mean, we all know that it goes on, but, you know, you don't have to be so blatant about it. And, uh, you know, if the player really wants to make the move happen, uh, I'm sure it's possible. I mean, he's somebody who's kind of teased possibly moving on for the last two or three summers, in fact. Um, and it might, it, it might have the feel now that he feels like he's outgrown the club. Um, and if he did move to Barca, I wouldn't be surprised. But at the same time, I wouldn't even be surprised if he remains because Barca might just get cold feet and think, well, you know, if we've ourselves beyond that line, that's acceptable. Then like Liverpool had to do with Van Dyke last summer, we might just have to hold off for at least a transfer window and perhaps going for him in, in January. But, uh, that, that, that is certainly something that, um, Barca is certainly not the wisest at is, is, uh, luring, uh, big name players. Now, I guess the, the question, and just stick with Barca for a second, you see Suarez, you see uh, Messi, both are, both are getting, both are on the wrong side of 30 at this point. I guess the question is, do we, do we anticipate probably over this window and the next few windows, and they tried to do it with signing Coutinho, and they tried to do it, and, and it was the reasoning behind signing Usman Dembele. Um, could we probably see them go, going into the market and trying to actually get younger? Because that seems to be uh, pretty imperative for them. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of things at play here. Um, firstly, they have got an ageing squad. A lot of their key players are over 30 or approaching 30. Um, but the other factor is that their wage bill is astronomical. I think it's in the region of 400 million. So it's almost double hours. And, um, you know, th- though Barca have huge revenues, um, that is, I think, something in the region of 70% plus of their um overall turnover and given the amount that they like to spend in the transfer market for big players like Coutinho and potentially Griezmann um, it almost becomes unaffordable and I, I looked at their accounts in fact just a few weeks ago and they are in severe financial uh, difficulties and on top of that they want to um, radically um, refurbish the new camp as well which will cost hundreds of millions of pounds or euros so um, they've really got to think smart now and they they operate in a very cavalier way and I think they've really got to smarten up and um, tighten up their belt um, and I think that's also part of the reason why they're also going to look at bringing younger players through who've got potential um, who are on the verge of possibly becoming world class but will demand salaries far less than a lot of their key established players so I guess actually I was going to save it for later, but I guess, you know, because it's just topical for now. Obviously, Usman Dembele has been linked to Liverpool on loan. I guess the question is, do you even buy it as a real link? And do you think it's something we seem to be after? I think there's just been too much noise around this um, for it to have no substance whatsoever. I think that there is um, the possibility that... Um, Barca are open to um, loaning out Dembele. Um, and I think there are several reasons for that. Um, firstly, I think that they're concerned about his injury record. Um, I've read some of the comments from some of the people at Barca where they perhaps feel that he is a bit too either injury prone or um, too easily um, sidelined in the same way that some people perceive Daniel Sturridge to be too easy to... Um, sit out the game when others might have persisted through um, not being 100%. 
Um, so I think that's one thing. I think it might be a fact that he hasn't quite settled into Barca and um, Spanish culture in the way that they perhaps would have liked. Um, and also there's the financial consideration as well. Um, so when all those factors are combined and the fact that they are possibly looking to bring Griezmann in, and the club just might not be able to afford both um, on their books at the same time, um, then I think there is substance to Barca being open to Dembele going out on loan. Um, as for whether we are interested in him and bringing him in on loan, I think that will be dependent on um, whether there is a buyback clause. If we just bring him in for one or two years with no option, um, sure, short term it might suit us, but longer term, um, I can't see how it does. So looking at the way that Edwards and Klopp operate, they're very much into long-term thinking um, and they might not necessarily go for a short-term fix when something um, elsewhere is a more viable longer-term option. Um, so I, th- I do think that there are uh, there is some mileage to it, but I, I, I think the chances of it happening are still um, on the low side. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree there too. I think it's just we are an ascendant name. He is a young player who fits our profile and also went to Dortmund. So it just feels like there's a lot of circumstantial links without any sort of actual anything to really kind of tie it together to tie it to us. But I definitely, I definitely could see Dembele leaving Barca. Um, he didn't even seem to be when fit towards the end of the season near the top of, uh, their, of their list of attacking options. And this wasn't exactly a side outside Messi and Suarez that had a ton of different attacking options. But yeah. But moving on to their rivals, um, a side that I've, you know, I, I, I don't particularly like Barca or, or, or Real. Um, I, my, my hatred of Real has grown in the last two weeks. I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> I think it has Ram something to, in particular. Yeah. It definitely has something to do with a certain central defender whose name I don't want to mention. But they seem to always be a team, regardless of their on-field success. And, you know, winning three Champions Leagues in a row is, regardless of however you want to call their league form, winning three Champions Leagues in a row is definitely on-field success at the highest level. They seem to always be in some sort of tumult. Uh, a lot of it with whether, you know, will he or won't he, is Ronaldo going to leave? Uh, I, I I don't believe he will. But I think it's more along the lines of they've been linked with some very, very high-end talent, as they always are, because the nature of the Galacticos is that you have to feed the beast. So the big rumored outgoing is obviously Gareth Bale, and I'll get to whether or not you think he's going to go. But uh, they have been now really heavily linked this window with both Eden Hazard and Robert Lewandowski. And the Lewandowski link is one that's been very, very, very firm for about the past six months. I guess the question is, where do you stand on those? Yeah, so um, with Hazard, um, there were reports in the last um, day or two that uh, he was a big target for um, the outgoing manager Zinedine Zidane. And um, now that Zidane is gone, um, it might depend on who is available. Um, Others that might be available and who may come into the post uh, might think that actually Asensio and Bale um, are more than adequate um, to provide... um, quality um, for the squad and uh, certainly with Bale it very much looked like he was on the outs uh, reports were that he wasn't even talking to Zidane um, and Zidane was not keen on him um, injury um, issues obviously and potentially uh, clashes in terms of personality as well um, so 
Bell perhaps has now got a lifeline. And if that's the case, is the Hazard move to rail quite as uh, foregone a conclusion as we all thought it was? Um, but I still think Hazard is angling for a move to Real Madrid. It's well known that he's wanted to move to Madrid for a long time. And he now looks at the team uh, around him at Chelsea and thinks, that, well, you know, this is clearly a team that has seen its best days. It needs a major rebuild. It's in the Europa League. Do I still want to be um, a talisman for this team if it's going to be stuck at that level for a couple of years? Maybe not. Now let's maybe move up to my dream team of uh, Real Madrid at uh, the age of 27. Um, Lewandowski, on the other hand, um, you know, he's an interesting one. He's come out and, um, well, the reports are very widespread that he's made clear to Bayern that he wants to leave. And um, Lewandowski is also another that has pined for a move to Real Madrid for a long time. Um, he, again, might be looking at somebody like uh, Benzema and thinking, well, I'm the ideal replacement for him. And there's certainly something to that. But Madrid, like Barca, also have financial issues as well. And I don't think they're in the position to go out and bring in two or three top-class names. Because bear in mind, um, they also almost certainly need to go out and get a goalkeeper. And top-class goalkeepers, certainly the calibre that Real Madrid would want, uh, will not come cheap. So unless they are looking to sell on uh, Ronaldo to PSG perhaps, um, or maybe even bail to somebody like PSG or United, um, I don't see them be able to afford Hazard, Lewandowski and the top goalkeeper, which will hopefully be David Haya. Yeah, now the with as far as the goalkeepers, I can't really see Oblak going there because I just I can't see Atleti selling him to Real. I think they'd rather sell him just about any place else. But yeah, oh, yeah. There's the one that we've been linked to as well, and I guess this is a good time to bring up the goalkeeper discussion. Uh, you know, a little bit out of the order of the agenda, but um, Oblak, Allison, and to a lesser extent. Butland linked to us, although I think actually Butland's linked to us uh, to a much greater extent than either you and I are comfortable with. Mm. Um, Allison seems to, Real Madrid seems to be our main competition for Allison, if you are to believe that Allison is our, uh, our main target. Now, I guess the question is, if it comes down to Liverpool and Real Madrid going after the same keeper, do we actually even have a chance? You think not. Um, but, you know, you might look at the situation at um, Real Madrid and see that um, they have a very, very capable goalkeeper there in Kalon Navas. And he's also a player that is very popular within that dressing room. And he might think that actually he, he's a lot of competition for me. And if I come in, have even one bad game, I could be dropped to the bench and I might not, might not see another top flight game for the rest of the season because you know Navas is a very consistent goalkeeper Certainly not one of the top three or four goalkeepers in the world, but certainly um, a very, very good goalkeeper. Um, whereas at Anfield, he'd almost be guaranteed to slot straight in to the first 11. And other than a few cup games here and there, he would largely be starting every single game. Um, so how often he plays might be one of the factors. Um, wages might be another factor as well. Um, if it's weather, no competition. He goes to Madrid. Um, when it comes to winning trophies, you'd have to go for Madrid because obviously that last 10 years or so, they won considerably more than we have. Um, but I don't think it's quite um, as much of a, 
one horse races. It might have been two or three years ago. I think we are a very, very attractive club um, to a lot of the top players out there nowadays. And uh, we can certainly compete when it comes to salaries as well. Um, and I think if you want um, a team where you know he could really slot in, then you know if I was him, I'd choose Liverpool. Um, but you know, as I mentioned before, um, Real Madrid might want to go back in for De Gea. I mean, if it wasn't for that horrid fax machine, um, you know, he would have moved in um, several years ago. So um, I think Florentino Perez feels still quite bad about how that all went down. And he's had to deal with the fact that he's had a manager in Zidane who's insisted that he didn't want to have any goalkeeper come in to replace Navas. Whereas now that um, he has moved on, a new manager might say, well, actually, though Navas is really good, I'd like the world's best goalkeeper in De Gea, please. So if that happens, it pretty much um, opens the door for us to compete, well, bringing Alisson in without any real competition. Now, I guess the, the fun question there is also, who actually would even manage Real Madrid because it seems as if they've been through every big name manager possible. Um, <laughs> with the exception of Pochettino, the ascendant one who's basically said like, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, that's an interesting one because the reports were always that that was his dream club as well. It's a bit of a theme in this show. So many people, uh, Real Madrid is their, is their dream destination. Um, so it was a surprise that, um, word was that, um, he's either turned them down or, they feel that he'll be too hard to prize from Spurs and the grasp of Daniel Levy. Um, so, so that is an interesting one, but I wouldn't dismiss it completely out of hand just yet. Um, I think it'd be great if he goes, partly because um, it will weaken one of our other rivals in Spurs. Um, but if they don't bring him in, I'm, I'm sure there's a whole list of others that are capable of coming in. And look, you know, they've got so many great players. Uh, you know, we've seen it with Barca as well that. Even an average manager coming in can still lead that team to success. So um, it, it isn't really something that would be a, a major issue for even a, a middle of the road manager to come in and still try and do something with that squad. Um, but I mean, get, getting back to the goalkeepers, though, I think you know Allison is someone that we certainly have a, a really good chance with, and I think that if we can't secure him. Um, O'Black would be an absolutely fantastic signing. But even with us, you know, we've only got a finite budget as well. And, you know, it might be a money decision between Alisson and O'Black. O'Black looks to be no available for no less than £80 million. Uh, whereas with Alisson, reports in the last day also suggest that actually he might be available for a lot less than reports were previously, previously suggesting. Um, either of those two would be perfect for me. Um, if Karius did stay on, I personally wouldn't be massively um, objecting to that just because, yes, he had a horrible, horrible game, you know, a nightmare of all nightmare performances. Uh, but, you know, the concussion might have had something to do with that. And prior to that game, going from January till middle of May, end of the Premier League season, he was one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League and was on course extrapolating his games uh, to put to de deliver a 27 goals conceded season, which is incredible. Um, so, you know, suggestions that he's done, uh, I think are a bit premature. But one of the things that none of us know about is his mental um, state, his frame of mind and how fragile he is. And, you know, if he is fragile and he will be for quite some time, then we could have a real problem and we might have no option but to replace him. Um, but, 
whoever that replacement is, please, please, please let it not be Butland. I, I think that, look, I mean, we all have a lot of faith in Edwards and Klopp. They've done some fantastic work, work with recruitment last couple of years, but I think even we would be stretched to have faith in Butland coming in and expect him to be um, the answer. Uh, and if he's the answer, then what is the question, quite frankly? So um, I really don't want to see Butland come in. But, you know, our good friend Dave Hendrick has put out a tweet in the last couple of days with a list of about 12 or 15 other goalkeepers we could approach. Um, so if O'Black or Alisson are not available, um, I'm sure that if Karis has to be replaced, there are still others out there that can come in and do a job. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you there. And also Jack Butland, I mean, I, you asked what the uh, the question that he'd be the answer to is. It's goalkeeper for a relegated side that didn't defend well and didn't look organized <laughs> at any given point in time. It is correct. Absolutely, yeah. No yeah. no, thank you. No thanks. Now, now I guess the, the, the uh, you know, there's another player from from that Southampton's, I'm sorry, from uh, from that Stoke side that's actually now making the rounds in rumors and actually now even saw him link to Liverpool today. Uh, but the, I think the the rumor I saw that made the most sense thus far is Gerard and Shakiri to uh, Southampton. But now I've also seen that Roma, Liverpool, and Everton are sniffing around. Uh, the release clause on him is rumored to be twelve to you know twelve thirteen million pounds. I guess the question is because uh, I don't care about all those other sides actually now signing Shakiri if he's been linked to us. Uh, hot commodity that we were into uh, at the, you know in, during the same window that we didn't sign Kona Plianka in tw- in twenty thirteen fourteen. Uh, has time made you pine for this man less? Yes, is the answer. Um, but I wouldn't say um, he's a player that isn't good enough for Liverpool. Um, is he good enough to be in the first eleven? Absolutely not. Nowhere near. But look at what we had as backup to um, Mane and Salah last season. Um, who did we have? Woodburn? Is Shakiri better than Woodburn? Yes, he is. Um, can we get better than Shakiri? Yes, we can. Um, if we've got a finite budget and we need to spend a lot of money on a goalkeeper and uh, Fakir and one or two others, and as a backup, um, we might only have 10 or 15 million to spend uh, for a wide forward, then Shakiri isn't actually a, a bad option to have. You know, in a team that wasn't very good, um, he was actually by far and away their best player still actually racked up a decent number of goals and assists. I think it was about 16 or 17 goals and assists for a relegate team, which isn't too bad. And, um, you know, alongside a better group of players, he might lift his game. I mean, I'm sure it was a bit demoralising for him that uh, a player of his uh, quality um, playing alongside the likes of Eric Peters and Ryan Shawcross, dear, oh dear, um, you know, that, that can't have an uplifting effect on your mood and morale. So playing alongside the likes of Salah, alongside Van Dijk, alongside Naby Keita, um, I'm sure he would lift his game again. Um, so I wouldn't completely dismiss it. Uh, as I say, I think there are better out there, but I wouldn't be um, burning effigies of Michael Edwards if, if we did sign him. Yeah, and I actually think there's still a player there. And people need to remember, Shakiri, when we were first linked to him, was about 19 or 20 years old. He's about 26 now. So it's not exactly as if he's beyond the point of being able to be salvaged. And Klopp, you know, is a good motivator. So he might be able to work past the few things that have been kind of the knocks against Shakiri, which are mainly work, which are mainly work rate related. But 
Um, I, I don't think that he would be a particularly bad signing for us. Um, but agree if he, if we are signing him, that's not a first 11 signing and he gets games in domestic cups. But on the bright side, he is more to change a game from the bench than what, you know, Danny Aches or Dominic Solanke by a wide margin. And probably yeah. would take Lilana, he probably would end up taking Lilana's spot in the squad. And that wouldn't bother me just because I'm, I'm not an Adam Lilana hater. I'm not an Adam Lilana fan. I just get annoyed at his, Tremendous lack of ability to play in anything resembling a direct matter. <laughs> well, why why only make one touch when ten um, yeah. works? Well, it doesn't work. But uh, yeah, he he has been an immensely frustrating player for Liverpool fans over the last season, perhaps even longer than that. Um, even in the few games that he did appear in, you know, in the last uh, couple of months of this season, just gone. Um, I think on a number of occasions we saw some great attacks emerging. Mane going at full pelt. What would Lalana do? Several touches, try and lure a player in so he can go through one of his meaningless Cruyff turns and then pass it backwards. Um, yeah, he, he just no longer fits in this team. He just doesn't suit our style of play. Can't keep up with it. He really needs to go. He, he needs to be sold and use that money to bring in somebody else. Yeah. So... Before I get back and go a little bit further into, you know, our transfer dealings, I do want to look at a few of our rivals. Uh, when I wrote up the agenda, they were not done deals, but now, um, Manchester United have signed both, uh, Fred from Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, you know, a defensive midfielder who's going to certainly strengthen their midfield and probably actually give Mourinho, I think, a bit of uh, a tactical direction with Paul Pogba, which is something that I wanted to avoid seeing. Because the aimlessness of Paul Pogba, you know, hurts United, which helps, uh, which helps everybody else. And then Diego Dello, who is a right back from Porto, who we saw play in the nil-nil at Anfield. And I mean, he was impressive as a player could be in a nil-nil at Anfield. Otherwise, I haven't watched much else of the Portuguese Super League because it's just not televised regularly in the U.S. I mean, I guess what do you make of this particular business? It does seem like United strengthened a little bit here. Yes, it does. I mean, you know, Let's not discount the fact that Fred is actually um, a player that appears to have usurped uh, Fabinho um, to get into the Brazil 23 for the World Cup um, as a defensive midfielder alongside Fernandinho. Um, so he's a player of quality. I can't pro- profess to have having watched extensive amounts of the Ukrainian league over the last couple of years, so I can't attest to um, the quality of Fred in that position. But from all accounts of those that are um, trusted when it comes to these things, um, he seems to be quite a player. Um, and certainly we know that Marino likes the defensive types. Um, though the interesting thing is that he also likes very tall players and Fred isn't a tall player. Um, but nonetheless, he is also a versatile player as well, which is something that Marino likes, just like Klopp. Um, and so even if he doesn't quite slot into the, um, deepest of the midfield positions, he could potentially, as you say, uh, provide Pogba with some competition slightly further up and um, you know that, that would be something that would add a bit of extra dimension um, crudely you could say that he's the Fellaini replacement um, ostensibly uh, but you know that that isn't really the case um, and it looks like Fellaini is on his way out um, so that that looks like a good bit of business for them um, albeit you know they are losing two it appears that they are losing two uh, players at the base of their midfield, not only Fellaini, but also Carrick, who we definitely know is gone. He is uh, joining the coaching staff um, from this summer. Um, with 
Diallo, um, again, um, he's a player that is very lacking in experience and I don't think he's been brought in to start as um, one of the uh, first 11 to replace uh, Valencia straight away. Um, but I think that they would like to develop him and uh, bring him through over the next couple of years. Um, I'm a bit surprised um, because Valencia is getting on and I think he may only have one or two more seasons left in him. Uh, but maybe that that's a plan, that's a succession plan that they've got, that um, DLO is his understudy, um, plays in the odd game here and there, um, and two years from now, um, they'll phase Valencia out and DLO will be the um, regular right back. Um, but then again, we thought the same of Darmian. He started really, really well um, at the start of his United career. career. Um, it really fizzled out, and um, for a player who's only 19, um you know, it, it could go either way for him. He could either turn into a raging success or a, an absolute failure. He'll be forgotten about within a year or two. Yeah, it's actually interesting too, though, because uh, Luke Shaw fits a similar profile as well. And you know, United spent, I think, the better part of twenty million pounds on him. I think they're now looking to recoup about a million, uh, at least as I saw on Twitter yesterday. So, you know, it, it is sometimes precarious with young players because you spend a lot on them, and you know, we have the same thing with Markovic. Uh, you know, you, you, it's very difficult to anticipate how spending twenty million on a player at that age is going to turn out for you, uh, regardless of how good your coaching staff is. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there just aren't any guarantees, even with established players, um, yeah. aren't. So, uh, certainly, when you're talking about a nineteen-year-old, um, it really can go either way. But you know, certainly, Mourinho, when it comes to uh, Portugal. Um, has still has very good links there, very very well connected. Um, so clearly he has had the word that um, this is certainly a player. So let's see. Um, but um, yeah, by by Man United standards, uh, certainly uh, a low key start to the window. But um, we know that they like to spend money. Uh, we also know that their transfer strategy is completely disjointed as well. So I'm sure that they'll go and buy a player they absolutely do not need um, and spend ridiculous amounts of money. Um, on wages and the fee and agents' fees, um, legal or otherwise, and um, let let's see um, how all that pans out in Mourinho season three. Yeah, it just it's just screaming for Gareth Bale uh, to sign there. It, it just it seems so open to say, here's Gareth Bale, I'm going to sign here, and they're going to roll out a front three of you know, Sanchez, Lukaku, and Bale, who will play 38 games and look like they've never met. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then all the players behind them absolutely fuming that two of the three players at the top are earning two, three, four times more than they are and getting their agents to uh, uh, phone um, the chief exec, uh, Edward Woodward, and complain incessantly about the fact that they're earning a measly 150k a week. Uh, I mean, how, how could they possibly survive on such little amount of money? You got to feed your family, uh, no, man. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that's, um, you know, all to look forward to. Uh, Mourinho season threes never fail to entertain for all the wrong reasons if you're a fan of that club, but for all the right reasons if you're a fan of a rival club such as ours. So uh, um, I, I just can't wait. <laughs> and uh, so the rest of our rivals, uh, Chelsea, I think actually the bigger drama with them at the moment isn't actually remotely in the transfer market. I haven't actually seen them linked with anybody. I've only seen the outgoing rumors on Hazard. Um, and I think, obviously, that you could do an entire an entire podcast on this, and I'm pretty sure someone will 
maybe not a Liverpool focused one, but on the, uh, the troubles that Roman Abramovich is having currently with, uh, potentially both the U.S. Treasury and also U.K. Treasury, uh, because of, you know, his, his close, his closeness with Putin and the geopolitical, uh, ramifications of that in the Western world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, you mentioned that I am looking to arrange a pod with Michael von Herf, um, one of our AI colleagues, and uh, cover that on Money Talks. You know, Money Talks is um, obviously a Liverpool, Liverpool football club focused pod. Um, it's still always interesting to talk about some of our key rivals. And this is actually a very big story. And, uh, you know, it'd be really worth going into this uh, because, you know, worst case for Chelsea, um, it could really spell the end of their uh, era as uh, one of the top clubs in, in, in the UK, sorry, in England and, and Europe. So um, it, it's something that I think a lot of Chelsea fans are very nervous about. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, I'm absolutely um, lapping it all up like a lot of Liverpool fans are because, you know, we all secretly hoped, maybe not even so secretly, that uh, a day would come when Roman would not be able to pump his many millions um, of questionable rubles into that club. And um, it looks like that day has possibly come. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how you know, the next uh, couple of months pan out for Chelsea. But um, it really is a, a club in a shambolic state. They don't know whether their manager is coming or going. Um, they've tried to lure Sari from Napoli, but then they've said, well, sorry, but we won't pay um, for you to be released from that club. Napoli themselves have already brought in his replacement, so they've technically got two managers at the moment. Um, Chelsea's um, technical director still hasn't been replaced. Um, obviously, there's questions about um, key players, including Hazard. Um, the stadium expansion has gone belly up, and um, it looks like that's not going to happen now. So lots of question marks, very, very few uh, certainties around Chelsea. And um, I hope that all of that combines to make Chelsea an ineffective force for uh, next season for years to come. Now, moving on to our other two, other, the other two rivals I wanted to bring up. Um, Spurs really, I mean, City we know are gonna buy. Uh, they haven't really been linked with too much besides Jorginho, but I don't really want to get into them yet because, uh, I'm gonna save them for a whole other podcast. But, uh, same thing goes for Spurs. But, uh, the one that, I, the, before I get to Liverpool, the one team that I want to go to is Unai Emery's, uh, first rumored signings for Arsenal are, in fact, a man we've already, whose name has been already mentioned on this podcast once, Marijuana Fellaini. And also, uh, Socrates from, uh, from, uh, Dortmund. Now, I guess the question That's is, true. um, how, how underwhelming is that as a way to start? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, it, it really is very, very underwhelming. I mean, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be, I'd be tearing up my season ticket, quite frankly. Um, I mean, look at who they've signed already, um, in, uh, uh, Lick Steiner, is it? Yeah. Um, got him on a free. You know, that's right. Yeah. So a sprightly 34 year old has been, um, from Juventus who has come in to give competition to, um, the player in Bellerin who quite frankly has regressed massively in the last couple of years. Um, completely underwhelming signing. Uh, Fellaini excites nobody whatsoever except for, um, fans of long ball football. Um, and also Afro hair. And um, then we've got Socrates, who, again, 
is a player that certainly has seen his best years and uh, is also past his prime and you know 29 years of age to boot so it's really really bizarre um in terms of where they are but it really is a case of deja vu for us liverpool fans because you know think back to the hodgson era um you know we made some of the most all-time worst signings when hodgson came in and arsenal's business so far um certainly in terms of who they've signed and who they are looking to sign certainly has um uh very similar similar a similar feel to um our window from summer 2010 um, but again, as a Liverpool fan, I'm not complaining if, if they carry on bringing in players that are just not good enough to replace players that are just not good enough. Um, then that's one less club for us to worry about. Yeah. So now, now the fun stuff, we've discussed some of Liverpool, but I guess, uh, so, you know, obviously there's, there's two players that I want to discuss. One was a potential rumored outgoing and I want to get your feeling on that. And then one that's a, you know, the, the, Obviously rumored incoming. I guess we'll start with the rumored outgoing. Uh, I think, uh, Liverpool Twitter kind of blew up the other day. This is Wednesday. This was, uh, probably Monday when we all saw that there was a rumor of, uh, Zinedine from France football of Zinedine Zidane having agreed, uh, terms with Sadio Mane before he was, uh, before he resigned. I guess the question is, do you, do you actually really buy that? Does Mane seem like the one who'd actually be the first one out of that front three? That's an interesting one. I mean, First reaction was absolute rubbish, absolute nonsense. Um, but if you look at our front three, who is the most disposable one? It is Sadio Mane. Um, but does that mean that I think there's any legs to this? Absolutely not. Um, now, if if um, the club are looking to sign Dembele, then I could see um, the club considering selling on Mane. Now, Mane is somebody who... Um, had a bit of a slightly up and down season, but overall he was still very good. And certainly the last couple of months of the season um, was one of our top two best players, I felt. Um, but, you know, for him to go to Real Madrid, um, that would involve a very, very sizable transfer fee. We're probably talking six figures like we saw with uh, Felipe Coutinho. So um, given what we talked about earlier with Real's financial issues, and about them also wanting to possibly sign Hazard and Lewandowski. I think the chances of that happening are very remote, um, but I wouldn't completely rule it out. And it was one of those stories that was so left field that it almost felt, well, it's so left field that hmm, maybe there is some truth to it. I don't think it was necessarily a case of Mane having agreed to any deal. I could believe that somebody approached Mane. He's a very, very good player. So it wouldn't be surprising that one of the top teams in Europe has approached him, either directly or through his agent. Um, but do I think it will happen? No, no, I don't. I think he's a player that will stay at Liverpool um, for at least another season. Yeah. Now, the other one is, uh, the other player, obviously, that I was speaking about in that little introduction is Nabil Fakir. Um, I guess the question is, do you see this as more of a a, a rumour, you know, of a... Um, not a, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this, a not if, but a when type of signing, as in, you think we're going to get him and it's just Olas trying to dri- drive up the price for Leon, or do you think that maybe these initial links were potentially overblown? I think that um, it's really a when rather than if situation. Um, it looks 
from all reports that the players mind is very much made up in terms of Liverpool as his next club um, there's also reports that um, the deal in principle might have even been agreed and it's really about thrashing out the fine details of that um, and it might be that the club sorry that the selling club um, are also looking to um, extract a little bit more um, obviously with the World Cup looming and thinking that if he does manage to get on the pitch and maybe even score a goal or two that should certainly add to his value. So there is an element potentially of stalling as well. Um, but at the same time, you know, Liverpool have got a very strong position here and um, they know the player wants them. They've got the money to get the deal done. Um, so, you know, it's not really in Leon's interest to keep it dragging for too long because then that limits the time they have to potentially sign a replacement. And... Um, and also um, other cl- clubs that will want to potentially sell to Leon um, will have an upper hand the shorter and less time um, there is in the transfer window for all has to get a deal done for incoming player. So I think we're probably reaching the time in the next week to two weeks for a deal to get done, and it really feels like a when not if. Yeah, and it also seems as if he's coming in specifically to fill a role in the midfield. And, you know, you and I have obviously chatted uh, multiple times about uh, our thoughts on the midfield being a bit one-paced, one-dimensional, but uh, obviously the injections of Fabinho, Keita, and Fakir will certainly change that and make us a much harder side to deal with against all mm. sorts of competition. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, no, Klopp has approached this in a structured way, and... Uh, I think the final main piece of his jigsaw was the midfield. I think that he looked at what he inherited and felt that, okay, I have not got a world-class midfield, but I've still got some decent quality there. And that's the area that needs the least amount of uh, attention in the short term. Now he's addressed um, the front line and he's addressed a large part of the back line now focus his attention on the midfield and if you look at our performances last season um, I think a lot of the time when we did drop points it was because the midfield let us down yes there were times when Mignolet committed absolute howlers and obviously needless to say Lovren as well um, but when we went down or um, a team scored an, you know, an undeserved equaliser it should have been the midfield that was there to either snuff it out or to go back and score another goal, um, because we couldn't overly depend on our front three every single game, and we just didn't have enough goals from our midfield and not enough defensive protection from our midfield. It looks like we're resolving that, and the final piece of that puzzle um, is hopefully Fakir. And Fakir as that attacking midfielder with Cater as the box-to-box, and Fabinho as the defensive mid, would just be the most beautifully balanced midfield in all of English football and arguably in Europe. And that in one transfer window would be incredible piece of work by Klopp and, and Edwards. So, um, you know, that that's something that has got all of us salivating. We're all really looking forward to it. And I can't wait for the three of them to just start working together and see what kind of havoc they unleash on an unsuspecting um, Premier League and even clubs around Europe. It's just um, absolutely... Uh, amazing um, for us to look forward to. So I can't wait for the season to get started. Same here. I also love the fact that Fabinho and uh, K 
Keita are are not going to uh, Russia. So you know, get to hit the ground running and see exactly what Klopp wants out of him early. Uh, there's one other player that we've been linked with, but I'm just going to ask you whether or not you've even really seen him play. Because I don't know anybody who watches the Belgian league. I'm pretty sure Dave Hendrick probably does at some point in his 18 hours of football a day. But um, <laughs> but uh, Moses uh, Daddy apparently is actually his real middle name, Simon. Uh, rumored to be linked to us for around, roughly 12 million pounds. Uh, all I've, all I've actually read is that he's a pacey winger who can play on both sides and can occasionally deputize as a second striker. I guess, uh, can you, can you get excited? Can you get excited about a player you don't know much about? <laughs> of course, because, <laughs> you know, that's what we do. Um, <laughs> and when we don't sign these players, we're distraught and we lose sleep. Um, that's just the way we are. <laughs> You know, we, we do it every single summer. Uh, we, we go into these windows and think, look, you know, we're not going to get caught up in the hype. You know, we're just going to let everything pan out, but we just can't help ourselves, can we? So look, um, you know, this doesn't appear to be like a, a big signing for us. The, the tariff fee is only 10 million pounds. Um, and it looks to be that, you know, he might not even be making the bench. Um, you know, if you, cause I mean, there's a lot, lot of talk that, you know, we want to bring in a, a, a more expensive um, wide forward as well to provide backup to Mane and Salah. Um, so we might be bringing two wide forwards, and if that's the case, it will be Simon and um, this other player. Um, but you know, nonetheless, it would still be good for somebody like this to be brought in because my view is that at this moment in time, we have zero backup. Woodburn for me isn't that type of pacey wide forward, and we have no other player at the club. Um, that isn't or hasn't been out on loan um, that can fit that description. So if we've got two, then that that would be ideal. Um, you know, he's a young player as well, let's not forget. So it might be that he is um, going to be playing a fair amount of under-23 games as well as League Cup and FA Cup. Um, but, you know, if, if the idea is to develop him and maybe next season for him to kick on and perhaps play a few more games, um, then I'm, I'm completely fine with that. But, you know, it looks to be one of these types that has come through the laptop and, and the Edwards um, sausage machine said yes. So if we're going to sign him and if it's only 10 million, um, then that potentially might be some good bit of business. So I, I'm cool with that. No. So we've, we've reached the end, but there's, you know, I'm going to give you my two closing questions. I guess I'll start with the, because uh, the, you did mention, you know, there are some more expensive and shiny options in, in what we're looking for out wide, you know. Everybody wants the shiny new car. I think the two that we've been linked with most are Bayer Leverkusen's uh, Jamaican Leon Bailey and uh, the American from Borussia Dortmund, Christian Pulisic. Which one of the two of them do you think you prefer? That's a tough one. Um, you know, there are those that cite um, Pulisic is great at marketing potential, but for me, I'm, I'm not. Even though I'm a money guy, I'm not overly fussed by that. It's more about a player that can come in to deliver. Um, and on the basis of the statistics from last season, I think Bailey slightly edges it. Um, but um, I, I wouldn't be overly precious on going one way or another. Um, but if it was either of the two, possibly Pulisic, just because um, Klopp knows him. He has worked with him in the past. And despite the fact that he's a United fan, um, I, I think that he appears to have some tremendous upside um, whereas with Leon Bailey, um, you know, he certainly has some fantastic pace. Um, 
But if we wanted him to play in a more central position and pull the strings, can he do that? I'm not so sure. There is, I think the view is that with Pulisic, he potentially can. Um, so if we did have to rotate Fakir out um, and rest him, um, somebody like a Pulisic could come in and fulfil that role. Whereas with Leon Bailey, I'm less sure. Um, so it's a very close one, but I'd go with Pulisic. I'm with you on Pulisic, but that's also just because of the fact that I'm an inveterate homer and he's American. I do, <laughs> but once again, if we signed either of these players, because I think Bailey, from uh, from what I watched of uh, Leverkusen this year, from what I saw from Bailey, he is also an extremely talented player. And if we end up with both of either one of them, um, if we end up with both of them, then I think we probably allocated our funds wrong. But if we uh, if we end up with uh, either one of them, I'll be very happy. Uh, I, I guess the last question before we close, obviously, this is a World Cup summer. Uh, I don't think that Liverpool's buying history in World Cup summers is particularly good. So I guess the question is, do you tend to actually uh, fear what we might do in World Cup summers based on, uh, you know, the ghost of World Cup summers pasts? I would, but I think that, you know, 2010 and 2014, we were a very different club. Um, you know, 2010, we had some crackpot owners. 2014, we had a crackpot manager. Uh, we have neither one now. Um, so, you know, I've got much more faith in, um, the people that make the decisions to recruit. And I think that they, um, think about these things in a very smart, structured and long-term way. So I've every confidence that if we do recruit, um, during the summer, it will be uh, much better than um, the last few summers that coincided with World Cups. And if you look at the business that we've already done um, with Fabinho already and obviously um, with uh, Naby Keita, even though he was, that deal was agreed a year ago, um, you know, we've already got off to a really good start. And if we're getting Fakir, top class goalkeeper, one or two wide forwards uh, will be in a fantastic place to be Man City's biggest challenger for next season. So, you know, I, I've got every faith that, you know, we can completely dismiss what happened in 2010 and 2014 and look at what we're going to do in 2018, what we've already done and go into next season with a great deal of justifiable excitement. Excellent. Well, I think that's a, that's a great place to end it. I'd like to thank my guest, Mr. Mo Chatra. Um, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that they should listen to Mo's Money Talks uh, podcast on the AI on AI Pro. It's one of the ones that's definitely worth going behind the paywall on. Um, and I uh, thank Mo and wish you also a uh, you know a uh, you know a good reflective Ramadan. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me on, and uh, look forward to being on again in the future. Absolutely, we'll have you back. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back at you next week with another AI Extra Transfer Rumor Show. Network.